All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the podcast. I'm excited you're here. Episode today, I want to start with a question. You think burnout doesn't concern you? I want to tell you to think again. Now, burnout, it's not just a buzzword. It's a critical barrier preventing healthcare professionals from living their best lives and providing the best care, work-life. In fact, a study published in the Annals of Internal Medicine estimated that burnout costs the United States healthcare system about $4.6 billion a year in turnover and reduced clinical hours. I'm going to say that again because that is a large word, and it does, in fact, start with B, $4.6 billion. Uh, today, we're going to jump in, shatter myths, offer actual real solutions, and help us pivot from just surviving to thriving in healthcare. Who wants to just get by? I don't want to just get by. I want to do well. So if you've ever felt like uh, you're running on empty, struggling to juggle the demands of your profession with your personal life, or just curious about what burnout really means because you've heard it so much, this is the episode you can't afford to miss. Today, we're tackling the beast that lurks in the shadows of the healthcare system. It's burnout. And who better to guide us through the maze than a burnout coach and doctor of physical therapy who has turned his own battle with burnout into a lifeline for clinicians drowning in stress. Uh, we're not just scratching the surface. We want to go a little deeper with somebody who's walked the walk and is talking the talk. Digging deep into the what, why, and how of burnout. Let's bring in our guests right now. Dr. Ricky Fernandez. Ricky, the burnout coach, is here. Ricky, welcome to the podcast. What's going on, Jimmy? That was the best hype up I've ever had in my life. And I don't know if anything's going to top I that. Am, I am everybody's. I tell people all the time, when you come on the show, I, I will be your ultimate little John. What? Yeah. Okay. Like, I am your hype man. That's what I bring to the, to the stage. That's what I bring to the table. That's great. You're giving me flashbacks to when I was a kid driving from baseball practice with either 10-10 wins on or 105-1 or 97-1. And I'm like, it's so soothing. This drive is not boring at all. You got that yeah, voice. Got I love it. Uh, my mom said I had the face for uh, radio at a young age, so I've run with it since then. First question is always the hardest, Ricky. Uh, what are we drinking? You're, you're on the back end of being sick, so normally it would be a Manhattan, which I like, which are deadly. Uh, but you're recovering with something good for your body. Who needs that? I know, I know. Sometimes you have to make responsible decisions. Today, I'm going to choose to make one, and in a few hours, maybe I'll renege and pull back on it. But right now, we're going with an, a diet green tea from Aldi's. Do not sleep on this brand, Tico Benner. It's delicious. I drink like two a day. Probably regret it in 20 years because there's ingredients in it that I cannot pronounce, but it's fine. future problem. That's fine. We'll, 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 we'll figure out a future problem. I like that. I'm doing a vodka soda because someone, when you host a show that's uh, sort of based uh, over alcohol, people like to give you gifts. Oh, that's beautiful. And that is a large bottle of some sort of vodka that someone gave me. It's called Rain. So I made a vodka soda. So no matter what you're having, drinking is optional. I say the more that the audience drinks, the smarter I sound. So cheers to you, Ricky. Thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right. First round is brought to you by Owens Recovery Science. Integrate personalized blood flow restriction training into your clinical practice with Owens Recovery Science. Get certified and expert and evaluate and elevate your clinical game. Start at OwensRecoveryScience.com. They also have their own podcast called the Owens Recovery Science Podcast. Uh, so with a name like Ricky the Burnout Coach, we mentioned in your intro, you have some, uh, some, some personal connection to this and you sort of like created the solution maybe that you wish was there for you. But let's start with the basics. I'm going to start with the basics so we have a good foundational knowledge. Break down what burnout really looks like in clinicians 
And then, because I think some people think, well, it's being tired or it's being depressed. So I want to start with the basics. Break down what burnout really looks like, specifically in clinicians. I'll paint you a picture. So the hands down, the best way to do this is story time. I think that people without stories, you kind of can't connect to what we're talking about. So I'll tell you what I went through. And this is probably going to be a bit of a call out for a lot of clinicians listening to this podcast, but you will feel better by the end of this podcast, I promise. So what does burnout feel like? You know that I was thinking about this earlier. You know that Snickers commercial where it's like, you're not you and you're hungry. First of all, great ad campaign. They get the one with Danny DeVito is my favorite, but keep going. You'll never forget that slogan, but the same thing applies to burnout. You're not you and you're burnt out. So I have my doctorate in physical therapy and I'll be honest with you. I didn't know burnout was a word until my second clinical and physical therapy school. And the reason I discovered burnout as a word was because I started this clinical. It was my first time working full-time, full caseload, no pay, far commute, challenging CI. It's like we're just adding in a teaspoon of each little ingredient for burnout. Everything's on one side of the pendulum, the seesaw, nothing's on the other yet. Exactly. And if you know me in real life, I am a relatively empathetic person. I'm funny. I like to have a good time. I, I probably think about things too deeply. But my personality started to change while I was on the job. So a couple of weeks in, I started to notice that my energy typically wasn't there. So I work out a couple of times a week. I'm a walker. I like to move my body. And I noticed that even with a good night of sleep, I was carrying this exhaustion day after day in the clinic. So that's one thing that was kind of concerning. The second one was my attitude towards patients. So I, like many clinicians, maybe you got into PT because you want to help. You care about others. Yeah. There's a little bit of an empathy muscle in you that wants to get worked out. And what I noticed started to change was my demeanor towards patients. So I became more apathetic, didn't really care about their stories as much, saw them as complainers, sometimes found them quite annoying. And these things are easier for me to admit a couple years out now, but in the beginning, I would never say these things because it's a bit taboo for a client facing industry. So that was another change. That was the second concerning thing. And the third thing was, your podcast is one that I listened to before getting into physical therapy school on top of all the other host of ones you have, whatever. I'm not going to promote other ones on here. I don't want to do you dirty like that. You can if they're good, but like, which ones did you, I'm, I'm curious, which ones did you find? Which ones helped? I, I'm, to me, the rising tide lifts all ships. I mentioned them. there was a ton. I mean, there was physio tutors, barbell medicine, yeah. the early days of E3 rehab. Clinical athlete was a huge one for me. There was many, and that was my rotation. And those podcasts fulfilled my physical therapy, continuing education need outside of school. And it made me want to go into the profession. And when I was going through this clinical, my desire to listen to those podcasts went to zero. I actually started to resent huh. the profession. I was like, wow, I'm paying a lot of money. I'm spending a lot of time in school. And the practice of PT is not as fulfilling as I thought it would. FPT is kind of what the feeling and was. And this is a, as uh, you're you're in your second rotation, so you're a second year third, like yep. second year third second year? year, yeah. So that's these are all. I mean, you're just listing red flags, right? That now hopefully someone out there is going, oh my god, may either either yes, yes, I spotted these too, or oh my gosh, yeah, I didn't. Because sometimes when you're neck deep, you don't, you can't spot these things, but they're obvious. Several years later, and you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. We love that one, um, but man, that sounds bad that sounds awful because you would you didn't even graduate yet and you're already feeling sort of deflated imagine feeling this and you have two semesters to go oh, two clinicals uh, to go and you're like we're just getting started baby we're just getting started 
So yeah. as you can imagine, that was concerning. And it was not me. I was not feeling like typical Ricky. And people with burnout can attest. You also go through these. Burnout is caused by stress. And stress affects numerous bodily systems. So you'll go through random things here and there. GI problems, headaches, muscle pains, difficulty with sleeping. Sleep. Oh, yeah. I was going to say sleep's going to be huge. Huge one. Huge one. Brain fog. You can't remember chart details for your patients. So you sound incompetent. It's a whole host of issues. And so going through this, I didn't know what was happening. And because I didn't know what was happening, I was scared. And I thought that I was going to lose my passion for the profession completely. In this process is when I realized, okay, let's do a little bit of research. I went to a research-heavy graduate program. Let me figure out what's going on and try to understand. Where'd you go? Wash U. Oh, yeah, obviously. Yeah. We go, we, Sarman. We'll get we go hard we'll get on research. <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get into Shirley Sarman stories, but keep going. So you, you did the thing, which was like, hey, let me science this. Let me science this. Let me figure out what's going on. This is weird. I don't understand what's happening to me. And in this process of trying to figure it out, that's when I discovered the word burnout. And when I tell you it was the biggest sigh of relief of my life, it was amazing to see, oh, snap, the three components of burnout are emotional exhaustion, tick, cynicism and apathy, tick, decreased sense of professional accomplishment, tick. And in that moment is when things shifted for me completely. I was a bit disappointed that I did not get the proper prevention or education around burnout before this happened. Because if you ask me, if we're walking into physical therapy and an occupational hazard is burnout, one in two healthcare workers experience it, let's get a little bit of education on this beforehand so we're not right. sidetracked and bulldozed by it. prevention, pound a cure type of thing. Prevention is the name of the game. And so th this is when the mission shifted for me. And I was like, I wanna help people with chronic pain. And it shifted from that to, I wanna help clinicians who are experiencing burnout. And it was after that experience that we got the origin of my coaching program, Bounce Back from Burnout. But for any clinicians out there, that is what burnout can look like. That is what it can feel like. You just don't feel like yourself. Yeah. And do those three again. Do the three cardinal signs again. Because, I mean, repetition is key. It is. Emotional exhaustion. Emotional exhaustion is you have a good night of sleep, but that exhaustion doesn't go away. The second one is it's kind of a, a trio. Depersonalization, apathy, cynicism. Think of it as like you're sending a shell of Jimmy to work. It's not actually Jimmy going. You're going, but you're on autopilot. You're not really engaged in conversations. And then a decreased sense of professional achievement. So either you think you're doing a worse job at work or you actually are doing a worse job at work. You can't focus. Your concentration's poor. You're not helping patients in the same way. Those are the three cardinal ones that you want to look out for. And they can happen in different degrees. All three, though, scary to experience regardless. Sure. And not just that, right? There's There's got to be a ripple effect because it's happening to you. This is going to spill over into your personal life, that work-life balance, which I think, I mean, I've just read, is there a work-life balance? It feels like it's life. And then part of life is work and part of life is other things other than work. Um, but there's got to be a, a ripple effect um, on the individual because this, this bleeds everywhere. The number... I would say one in two complaints that I hear from clinicians outside of the clinic is I get home, I have these lofty ideas of I'm gonna work out, hit the gym, cook a meal right. for myself, talk to my spouse, how was your day? Instead, you get home, you shower, you eat, you hit the couch for two hours, doom scroll. Or you isolate yourself. So you start to remove yourself. You don't hang out with friends as much, you don't hang out with your partner as much because your body is simply overwhelmed with the amount of stress you're experiencing at work. 
you don't have the bandwidth yeah. for life outside work. And that's when typically physical therapists start asking themselves, is this worth it? I'm helping other patients, but is this helping myself? Yeah. I mean, you're painting some flags where I'm thinking of some people. I mean, I dated a physical therapist, a colleague after, right after PT school. And this was, this was them. This was some of that. Yeah. It's common. It happens a lot. And, you know, we can get into the conversation around how do you respond to that? What do you do when that happens? But I've, yeah. first thing I want people to do is just develop a little bit of self-awareness and understand what you're experiencing in healthcare. You're not a freak. It's not an accident. It is the result of being in a system that's overly taxed. And so it's okay to admit that you might regret your choice to be in healthcare yeah. or that you're having these negative feelings. We don't want to shun or make those sorts of things that you say taboo because it simply makes it worse. So, so let's do that because... I like the fact that words have power because taboo typically exists when you don't talk about it, right? Or you, or you whisper about it. But if we shout it, it sort of like shines a light on those things. So let's, what are some common, what are some common uh, misconceptions? What are some things that maybe people, you know, what are some myths so we can sort of bust these taboos? Like what are the ones that come up like often? Yeah. What's more fun than myth busting? So I don't know. I got two one two for you. The first one is that this yeah. goes away on its own. So time yeah, suck it up. Suck it up. Figure it out. Time tends to heal all wounds, most wounds, a good majority of wounds. Burnout, not one of them. I see many clinicians who just hope that things get better. So you might think you're going through a season, and it's possible you're going through a season of burnout, but for the most part, this doesn't resolve itself on its own. The problem is in how much stress you are receiving at work and how you're interacting with that stress. If one of those variables doesn't change, then you're gonna to continue to experience the stress that's causing you to feel burnt out. So the first thing that I tell people is don't expect this to go away over time. There's a genuine cost of inaction to not working on your burnout. And that cost of inaction can be 15 years down the road, you realize I just wasted 15 years miserable and depressed mm -hmm. in my profession or my relationship at home suffered because I wasn't able to be present and I was irritable towards my partner. Patients weren't being served in the best way possible because I had brain fog sure. and I wasn't able to concentrate. Second big one, vacations. Vacations are something that I love to engage in. I'm gonna go on a few in the next year. I'm not anti-vacation. No one's paying me yeah. from a big anti-vacation, but they do not cure burnout. It's not going to magically make your life better. If we really want to get deep, vacations are an extended form of avoidance where we get away from the stressor and we get a little bit of relief from that. But what happens in those last two to three days of vacation when you realize my emails are still piling up in Outlook, okay. yep, patients are waiting for me, caseload hasn't changed, boundaries haven't changed. It's kind of an intimidating and dreadful thing to anticipate on the way back to sure, work. It's like amped up version of the Sunday scaries and it's a bandaid on a bullet hole. It's like, yeah, I'm sure you did, you know, three days in there's like, I was reading some research on, I think it said that an eight day vacation is perfect where they said like, it's, it's long enough to turn off and enjoy, but longer than eight days wasn't necessarily better. Um, so they're like, if you have limited vacation time, they're like, take multiple eight day vacations instead of like one, two week vacation. Um, but yeah, bandit in a bullet hole, right? You're, you're avoiding, I like how you put that, which is just a, an amped up version of, a, of avoidance. All right, so that's one. What was the second? Vacations was the second one. The first one was that it goes away over time. There's tons of little oh, yeah. myths littered in there as well. Um, but the big one that I want clinicians to take away from this is that 
a passive approach is not the move here. We don't want to just give this time and see if it resolves itself on its own. More often than not, there is some lesson, some challenge that you are being called to respond to. Something's being exposed. It could potentially sure. be your work, your workplace is toxic and it's not a good fit. It could potentially be your boundaries with work are unfit for your needs. It could be a history of people pleasing or perfectionism. We don't know yet. It depends on the person, but burnout is typically a, a lesson waiting to be learned. So let's step up to the plate and learn what that's about. What's going on here? So let's get specific, right? Well, of course, every person, every clinician is going to be unique and they're going to have different drivers, some more than others that you just mentioned. But what are some key strategies? People people come to you, right? Your, your, your role also is this burnout coach or someone who's walked the walk and now is talking the talk. And you understand what it was like to be there and you got yourself out or you're, I would say you didn't get yourself out. You figured out some tools to arm yourself because you probably still have to use these tools to make sure burnout doesn't creep back in. So what are some of those strategies or tools that you recommend for managing stress, establishing effective boundaries and removing all these things? Really good question. And this is every day for me. I, I'll say it right here. I don't do anything special. I do the basics really well. If you do the basics really well, this doesn't have to be an issue for you. So what are some of the basics? Self-awareness. If we do not have self-awareness around what the problem is, we can't see it. If we can't see it, then we can't treat it. So this means getting in touch with some of your signs of stress. I'll give you an example. I, I'm an overthinker. I'm just going to say it. It's something that I'm working on in therapy constantly, and I'm getting better at it with time. But there are signs that your body probably gives you when you're running on six hours of sleep five days in a row, yeah. or you're extremely exhausted from seeing patients. This might be procrastination. Maybe you just can't get yourself to do that thing on your to-do list and you're staring at it week after week. This might be rumination. So you latch on to a negative thought or something that someone said in passing, but you can't let go of it. And you make a story behind it. Maybe this is paralysis at making decisions. This is the issue that I run into, which is I can't choose a brand of soap off of Amazon when I'm stressed out. And I know now yeah. that it's not because the 4.7 star is better than the 4.6. It's because my body's yeah. telling me, dude, you're stressed out. And like, we can't make these little yeah. simple logical decisions. So what I encourage clinicians to do, step one is what are your signs of stress? Who do you become when you're not feeling you? You see how I just twisted that slogan a little bit? <laughs> like I'm picturing Danny DeVito, right? Like, you know, you're not you when you're hungry. 100%, 100%. So this can look different for everyone. Maybe you start losing sleep. Maybe you get short and irritable with your partner. Maybe you stop going to the gym as much. As long as you can build self-awareness on the menu of ways that you show up when you're stressed out, that is step one. Without that, we're gonna go through needless cycles of burnout and stress. The next thing that I want clinicians to do is multifaceted. So burnout is caused by chronic stress that goes unchecked for a long time. And so if we can intervene in there and either stop that stress or better manage it, we give ourselves a fighting chance. And there are many different ways of approaching stress. Don't fall for the wellness industry BS ones. This does not include... Yeah. Say it again. Which are what? Which, which ones are the BS ones? I got you. How do we, yeah. uh, green juices, crystals, aromatherapy, massages, vacations. Anything where you pay a lot of money and the promises that your life's problems are solved is likely the problem not going is still to there. The problem's still there. So okay. if you guys want to learn more about taking care of yourself, there's a great book called Real Self-Care by Pooja Lakshmin. 
And she goes over the four principles of self-care. I'm validated because I was using some of these in my program before reading the book. So let's go through a few of them. A big one is boundaries. Boundaries is essentially what is and is not acceptable for others to do in your presence. And I cannot tell you how many clinicians that I interact with who have never explored what their style of boundaries are for the clinic. Because I don't know about you, but I know in physical therapy school, the kind of student that I was trained to be, and this probably stems from before physical therapy school, just being a good person is a little bit of a pushover, a little bit of a people pleaser, a little bit of a perfectionist. And it's uncomfortable to say things like, no, this is my admin time. I don't, I'm not able to accept another patient here, or I will not look at my emails after 5 p.m. at night once I leave the clinic. The kinds of boundaries you set are going to depend on your specific situation. But if there are unwanted sources of stress that you might be allowing into your life, we got to look there because that's a leaky faucet. That's one area. Another one, self-compassion. Self-compassion is basically your internal best friend. Think of it as the version of Jimmy who is extremely kind and compassionate to himself. So a common cycle that a clinician might fall into is I had a rough evaluation or I treated this person and I forgot to include this one exercise. I don't think I'm doing a really good job at physical therapy. I'm missing things. My coworkers and my CI are telling me that I'm missing all these different signs and tests that I should be implementing. Okay. It's a long game. It's going to take time to figure these things out. In the process, if you can be self-compassionate towards yourself, you can reduce that internal stress. So this means turning towards that criticism with compassion and reminding yourself, hey, this is a long game. You are going to make mistakes. You're going to mess up. And that's okay. An easy exercise you can do here, and I use this all the time, if you're struggling with a negative thought or a negative situation, just think about if you had your best friend sitting across from you at the dinner table and they were venting these same problems to you, how would you counsel them? Mm, mm, I like that. You'd probably be a little bit more kinder. Let them know that it's not. it doesn't all have to fall on your back. You're a good physical therapist. This doesn't mean that we have to burn the entire ship. Whatever you would tell that friend is what you need to tell yourself. And that is a muscle. Self-compassion is not a one and done. I do it once and my life is great forever. It is a muscle that we have to constantly be working. So that's the second one. Third one, core values. Core values, core values, core values. If you rolled your eyes when hearing core values because you're thinking of some large organizational core values that don't resonate with you, I got you. This is not that. Trust me, we're not going down that route. Core values are the principles that you live life by. So the best analogy for this is, let's say I took you and I dropped you in the middle of California and I said, Jimmy, I need you to go to New Jersey. And all you had was a compass. That compass is your core values. It is going to show you what direction to head in no matter where you are. Goals are different from core values. Those are like stopping points along the way. But core values are the principles, whether you're open-minded, whether you're humorous, whether you're accountable, whether you're a hard worker, whatever they are, those are going to let you know the kinds of actions you need to take in life in order to feel most fulfilled. And more often than not, people aren't even aware of what their core values are to begin with. So when you go through these Mm. days of work feels monotonous, I don't feel much passion outside of work. Is this really all that life has to offer? I'm 27 and this is it. Like I'm just going to show up as a PT for the next 15 years. Take a look at your core values. It's a good chance that you're not living out a key component of one of those values. I can keep going, but 
I think those are three. I'm taking notes. I'm taking notes. So that was three, right? So we have boundaries, self-care, core values. I'm taking notes in the, in the notebook. What's four? We can keep going. There's a lot of different causes of stress. So if we're talking common ones that I see with clinicians, a big one is people pleasing and perfectionism. So if we think about what got us to where we are, what allowed us to go to these institutions, get these good grades, achieve our DPT, become relatively high achieving individuals. Oftentimes it is this balance of perfectionism where we're hard on ourselves when we make mistakes. It's not acceptable to get bad grades. We beat ourselves up for making mistakes. And in a way that perfectionism serves you. It allows you to be an efficacious clinician. You'll study outside of the clinic. You'll make sure you have your patients back next time you have the appointment with them. And also we have to recognize that when we enter the real world past graduate school, that your job is not the only stressor that exists. We now have home, housing to account for, cars to account for, family to account for, a bunch of different stressors. And so if you carry this sense of perfectionism, this black and white thinking of either I am a good or a bad clinician, you can simply make this spiral worse for yourself when you enter the workforce. Sure. And I tell people all the time, what is a, I'm sure there are more gray professions than physical therapy, but physical therapy is relatively gray. Things you see in clinic are not always black and white in terms of how to approach it depends. them. It depends. Oh, I love that one. It gives me flashbacks to school. Um, but there's a lot of gray area in clinical practice. And unless sure. we can embrace that and give ourselves permission to not know the answer every single time, we're going to go through many cycles of self-defeating thoughts and feeling overly stressed about situations we might not have any control over. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, so let me ask you this. It sounds like a lot of this is, and I'm going to hate my professors are laughing right now because they made us do a lot of this in PT school and I hated it. But it sounds like this, this starts with a reflection. This starts with self-reflection, which is a thing I just absolutely hated in PT school. Because again, who had the time to pause and I have to go study the 4,900 PowerPoint slides that my neuro professor gave me yesterday before tomorrow. Um, it sounds like it's reflection understanding where my friction points would be because mine are different than Ricky's and different than someone else's, right? These are not, these are unique to me and me alone, but it might be similar to what other people are saying. Um, and it sounds like it's using the strategies to then get yourself out of this situation or change your environment. Maybe you do recognize that I'm in a place that is not going to be malleable to this thing. And sometimes, you know, they say winners never quit. And uh, Seth Godin, a great business writer, said, no, winners quit all the time. They actually know when to quit. And they're, they have track records of, of being good quitters. Like he, Seth Godin calls it the dip. He's like, there's, you know, it's something's riding high and then it dips. And winners need to, are typically able to say, this has a chance and likelihood to get better. And then people who, who maybe aren't having this good long-term mindset, like, I'll just keep riding. It's like, sometimes the ship keeps going down. There was one called the Titanic. Um, so it sounds like there's a little bit of reflection in there and using tools, but some of this is a mindset shift. And you talk about that in terms of overcoming burnout. Like, you know, what, what was your, what was your moment or, you know, some of it, you talked a little bit about it in PT school, but, um, you know, mindset shift isn't just, just a mindset to think, you know, be, suck it up, you know, you know, just, you know, th think happy thoughts. Mindset's different than that. It is different than that. It is different than that. We're not advocating for, uh, toxic positivity and you just kind of right. wish it's your problems away. Help. It doesn't help. Right. And so I want to preface this by saying, if you're listening to this and you're like, damn, Ricky, it feels like a lot of this falls on my back. This is my caveat. 
burnout likely wasn't your fault. It is not your fault. If we if we worked and we lived in a system that gave us the adequate resources that we needed to be healthy, functioning employees and clinicians, I wouldn't have a job. We wouldn't be having this conversation. We'd all be good. Right. We'd be great, but we don't. So I say that to let you know, burnout's not your fault, but it is your responsibility to take the required action to put yourself in a better position. And given that mindset shift, I'll be honest, the big mindset shift for me. So when I was in physical therapy school, I knew that I was going to do something on my own. I thought that that thing on my own was going to be running a clinic or working in a very progressive clinic. Like I said, I'm pretty studious. I like doing things for myself. I have this bias of thinking that I'm approaching problems in the best way possible. Maybe I'm human, who knows? But a big mindset shift for me after going through burnout was realizing the, the autonomy that I needed to have in my life. So for myself, this was shifting from, okay, I can be an employee, I can show up at a clinic and live that life, and that's great. But when it comes to the best long-term predictor for burnout recovery, it is autonomy and having a sense of control. And the mindset shift for myself was, what can I do to put myself in a position of control? And this is where also the origin of bounce back from burnout came from, is that I realized that involved working for myself and doing something for myself. It didn't have to be in a full-time capacity, but there was going to be some endeavor outside of physical therapy that was me using my creative brain and figuring out how to impact the world in my own specific way. And I think burnout was the impetus. It's what pushed me further in that direction for doing that. And when it comes to creating that autonomy for yourself, it doesn't always look like starting a side hustle. And it doesn't always look like right. starting a business. For many clinicians, right. this is simply learning to have a voice in the clinic and learning how to say no and learning how to say boundaries, figuring out what is it you are going to stand for and not stand for. What are the situations where you're going to have to sit down with the patient and let them know your rules of operation or your manager and let them know what kind of work is and is, and is not acceptable for your own well-being? So this is why I advocate people to figure out how can you get more autonomy in some way in your job? Because with that autonomy, you will have the best chance of beating burnout long term. Yeah. So, all right. So I'll, I'll put back on you. What are the what are the core values of bounce back? From burnout what are the core values of the program that you that you use to work with people who are very similar who maybe are nodding along with this episode maybe more than they thought they would be uh what are the core values of, of the program that you get that you've put together and created that's a really good question so uh, i'll start with the core values for myself because i'm doing my own thing and in a lot of ways yeah. my work is just the embodiment of my own personal work i am imperfect i am i am not standing on a pedestal compared to people I work with or other clinicians. This is me learning lessons along the way, trying to filter out the BS and give you the mistakes I've made so you can improve and have a better career as a clinician. When it comes to my own core values, we're looking at open-mindedness. So open-mindedness in the sense of, it's hard for me to think of things in black and white. And I really just like embracing many different sides to a story, many different sides to an individual. Humor is a big one. I know this can sometimes fly in the face of professionalism, but the older I get, the less I care about that, to be honest with you. I think humor is, mm -hmm. it can run hand in hand with unprofessionalism, sure. but also authenticity and you being your own human being and what resonates with you. Yeah. Um, accountability is a big one for me. I like to, I have a, a son, I have a family, I have a lot of different things that I'm responsible for. Accountability is a big one, showing up on time, making sure that you're gonna do what you, do what you say that you're going to do. 
Now, when it comes to bounce back from burnout, I think the biggest value that I try to imbue or give to people that I work with is get back control, get back in the driver's seat. Do not fall into this autopilot. Life is just happening to me. This is the typical life of a physical therapist. So it's okay what I'm experiencing attitude. And I know that can sound like radical responsibility or radical accountability for your own life. And I know that I want it to sound that way because we are not given a lot of time on this earth and we spend a lot of time to get the degrees that we get. And so you owe it to yourself. You owe it to your family. You owe it to your patients to take the steps that might be unpopular and unsavory, but that are going to leave you in a better spot. I always tell people when I work with them, it's like, we'll do our work together in the time span that we're working, but I don't want to see your face forever. I don't want to see anyone that long. At a certain point, I want you to know what is the best way to practice stress-wise, boundary-wise, specialty-wise that are going to leave you feeling good in the long term. And that starts with identifying, okay, what can I change in myself and in my environment to enact that control over things so that I'm not back in this position of feeling burnt out? Trying to work yourself out of a job, arming someone else, right? So it's you know bad business model, but it's a good care model. Uh, we're gonna have the uh, we're gonna have the link for your program, all the socials, because you do share bits of information like a good communicator that you are. That's how I found you. I found you on Instagram. I was like, this guy sounds like he knows what he's talking about, and he's sharing little bits of these these tactics and everything we sort of talked about today. You sort of fracture and put out in a bunch of different 30, 60, 90 second videos. So we'll share everything in the. Uh, in the uh, the show notes, but are you ready to do three questions? I'm always ready. Let's do three questions. On the hot seat with three questions on the PT Pinecast. Always good to have the voiceover. All right, three questions. It is brought to you by our friends keeping the show afloat. Three questions brought to you by ATI. They're leading the charge in PT clinical research with all 900 plus clinics achieving top marks in CMS's merit-based incentive program. That's MIPS. They're uh, the to join for career growth. Explore opportunities with them at ATIPT.com. All right, so three questions. I'm going to go this first. Let's go with an unexpected twist, Ricky. Apparently, this is a story about your transition from burning out in baseball to playing in college. What's, what's going on there? What what what, what happened? <laughs> this story, I mean, you could, you could take so many different interpretations of this story. I feel like it's a therapist's dream when you hear it. Um, I played baseball my entire life. I played baseball. If you if you ever played baseball in New York, you know the scene is competitive. Like we live and breathe baseball in New sure. York. And there was one summer as a kid where I played for five travel teams simultaneously wow. in the summer, over 100 games. Was I happy wow. about this? Absolutely not. Was I in control and heard when I was like, this isn't fun? Also not. Wasn't really my wow. choice. But that was also the the kind of practice and caliber of competition that you needed to in, involve yourself in to achieve the next step or achieve the next level. And so by the time I finished high school, I basically hung up my cleats. I did well as a senior. I decided I don't want to play baseball anymore. I just want to be a regular student. These practices after class are killing me. I love my baseball teammates and hanging out with them and making friends. I also love sitting down and just not doing things every single day of the week. When I ended up getting to university, I think I went through one or two weeks. We had orientation week and then the week after. And I ended up getting this email from the head baseball coach 
hey, Ricky person, uh, I heard that you played baseball in high school. Seems like you did okay for yourself. Would you ever want to come try out for the team? And I'm sitting there in my dorm wondering, how, do I give off like a scent that just attracts yeah, baseball how coaches? Know. How do they know? It was my dad. My dad went behind my back uh, and he emailed the coach at the school, letting him know, hey, you got this kid, Ricky. He's from the Bronx. He plays good baseball. All the things you have to do to hype up your son as a dad. And the coach was like, hey, why don't you come try out and just see how that goes? So I ended up doing it somewhat against my will. And it was honestly a blessing in disguise because I made the team and I played for them for four years. And it was hands down one of the best parts of my experience in college. And the weird part about this story is that would that be appropriate parent behavior for other people? Right. I'm looking down at the list you gave me. One of them is boundaries. I don't know, man. I think a lot of boundaries were crossed in that situation, right? But then again, but it put you in a good position. It put me in a good position. It it it, it forced me back into baseball in college. And college baseball is a lot different. I don't know if you've ever played a college sport. No. It's a lot different than high school. It is a little bit more demanding in certain ways. And in other ways, there's a little bit more freedom and not as much hounding accountability and control on top of you. And so it was really fun in that aspect. And also when you show up at college for the first time, you don't know anyone. And so when you're placed in right. a social setting, when you're immediately forced to interact with tons of different people, it gives you a leg up in terms of having some friend network. Sure community and everything like that 100 percent. all right 100 percent. all right so you know we'll we'll say it's uh we'll say it's a yellow flag doing that to your kid being his uh hype being the, your kid's little john your hype man second question on three questions if you had to recommend one completely non-medical activity or hobby that could surprisingly help with burnout what would it be non-medical activity or hobby that could help with burnout yeah so it's like not you know it, you know give like give them something that's non-traditional right like journaling would be more met that's more traditional what's a non-medical thing that you're like you know what try this gotcha Oof, a couple a couple of different things come to mind i would say one of the best ones that i have found is social support i think we are I'm speaking generally, but I think we are in an era of loneliness, and I think it is difficult for sure. people to make friends as they become adults. The attorney general had listed it as an epidemic, an epidemic in terms of epidemic of loneliness, especially amongst adults. One hundred percent, and I feel those pressures myself as I become an adult. And navigating that arena is a constant challenge as oh. you get older. And so, when we think of how humans typically are supposed to be operating in the environment, it's part of a tribe. It's having people around you who you can share wins with and share losses with and receive empathy from. And that has an actual tangible effect on your physical and mental health. And so one thing that I always advocate for is audit your social circle, figure out if it's working for you. And if it's not, how can we align you in the position of people who are going to be there for you, who are going to let you be authentic and receive yeah. empathy from them and not attack you for who you are as a person. There's many different ways to obviously find friends, but this is sort of the non-traditional way of beating burnout is get the right get the right people around you who are going to support yeah. you. You're supposedly that the, the sum of the five people you spend the most time with, right? And and also I'll go one step further. I I wrote a thread on this on Twitter a while ago in terms of we call it a social media feed, and we say you are what you eat, you are what you consume. So you are typically the result of the five things that you consume the most: what you listen to, what you read, what you watch. So audit your 
social diet, audit your, audit your social media diet. Those things feel like they're hand in hand. All right, third question. Desert island scenario, Ricky. Desert island, just you. You're stranded out there alone, but luckily you can take one thing with you that symbolizes your approach to beating burnout. What would it be? You can have one thing, but it's got to symbolize Ricky's beat back burnout. Like, well, how are you? How does it sim symbolize your program? Go for it. That's hilarious. I'm like, can I shrink my therapist and then just have them on and my shoulder the entire time? On a friend, right? You know, okay. So I'm a big music guy. I love music. I think if I was on an island and I could never listen to music again, I would go stir crazy. I would not be able to survive. Yeah. That would be a big one for me. At least I can have dopamine rushes from the music I'm listening to as I'm starving to death and you know dying what? of dehydration. Here's why I like this and I give you full points for this because it goes back to you reflected about what your core values were and that is your self-care. So you're like, listen, I've got to be here, you know, outside of a boat full of food, which wasn't allowed, uh, doing something that allowed self-care is it. All right, that's three questions. Uh, last thing we do on the show, Ricky, is called the parting shot. This is the parting shot. All right. Parting shot is brought to you by our friends from the Academy of Orthopedic Physical Therapy. Find them online at orthopt.org. Uh, Master Orthopedic Physical Therapy with the Academy of Orthopedic Physical Therapies. Fifth edition of their current concepts of orthopedic PT. It's your gateway to expertise. If you're someone contemplating getting just three letters after your name, if they happen to be O and C and S, you might be like, I don't know how I'm going to navigate from California to New Jersey to get to sit for that exam. That's what current concepts is all about. So check them out at orthopt.org. So, all right, Ricky, last idea, sentiment, mic drop moment, soapbox statement, whatever you want for your parting shot. 100%. Burnout's a gift. Burnout is a gift. It doesn't seem like it in the moment, but it is one of the best things that can happen to you as a clinician. And the reason I say that is, again, not toxic positivity, but when you really examine what's going on when you're experiencing burnout, it is shining a spotlight on some fear, some stressors, some behaviors in your life that have gone unexamined for too long and are no longer serving you. And we can use burnout as an opportunity to shine the spotlight on those behaviors, examine what beliefs or stories or emotions are leading to those behaviors, and then change that, change that story, rewire that belief. So when we're placed in the same position in your clinic, at your home, with your job, we don't have the same subsequent action or result take place. It's really difficult to feel that and take that space to examine and analyze what's going on when you're going through it and you're in the thick of it. This is why I advocate getting with a coach, getting with a therapist, someone you could have some objective ideas to bounce off of. But when you're ready to learn the lesson and you're here to learn the lesson, you will soon realize burnout is actually a good thing and there's a lot to be learned from it. All right. In the show notes, in the description of the YouTube uh, live stream, you can find all of Ricky's details and get in touch with him. Check out his program. This is really just the tip of the iceberg, right? We're just kind of over it. I mean, 45 minutes, we're at tip of the iceberg level. Uh, make sure to subscribe to the show or follow the show. Actually, on the uh, the Apple apps now, they don't say subscribe when the Apple podcast thing. They say follow. That's cool. So follow us for free. If you don't follow us and you don't listen to stuff, uh, we don't know if we should make more. We have no idea of knowing that. So you tell us what you like. Hit us on the socials at PT Pinecast. Uh, Ricky, appreciate your insight. I'm, I took notes. Very few times do I actually take written notes I appreciate on you. an episode. Yeah. 
and this and this was definitely it. So thank you so much for this, man. I appreciate it. Hundred percent. Appreciate you having me. All right. They say the uh, the best conversations happen at happy hour. Thanks for coming to ours. 